Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now, we're getting towards the end of this third section of John. Remember what we're doing. We're, we're going through the Gospel of John wanting to meet Jesus. We're, we're trying to get to know him. And, and so through the first two sections, we've seen the introduction to who Jesus is, first section, second section, how people are responding to him. Here in the third section, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he spends a 25% of the gospel in one evening giving them instructions and encouragement, as well as for you and I, about what it's going to be like when he's away and what we can count on. And then when we get into the fourth section, we're going to look at his death, burial, resurrection, and right before he ascends. So we're at the end. So we're in chapter 17. He has spent chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 giving his instructions. So now chapter 17 is his prayer for his disciples. And what we're going to see is, you might be shocked by this, But on the night in which he was betrayed, when he gave this, this is known as his high priestly prayer, he prayed for you and I. Isn't that, can you think about that for a moment? 2,000 years ago, he's getting ready to go to the garden where he will be betrayed. He's just done the instructions and he's praying to God. We're going to see it here. He's going to focus on God's glory in this passage. And he prays for you and I. And every believer that would come. You and I. He's thinking about you and I. This is who Jesus is. And so there are some powerful things as we get into this about who Jesus is and what he's about to do and and about the salvation that you and I have experienced or for some of you need to experience. But the problem is, is right now there's confusion. I think the church is just flat out confused. Now, when I say church, I'm talking about the church in general in North America. What do you mean? Well, I want to give you two thoughts here. First of all, we operate with a wrong concept of what salvation is. We operate with a wrong concept of what salvation is. What do you mean, George? I know what salvation is. Really? So if I were to say to you, what is salvation? Here's what the responses will be. Eternal life. You agree with that one? Yeah? Okay. Forgiveness. Everybody agree with that? Heaven. Those are the top three answers. And so when we share the gospel... We share, do you want to be forgiven? Don't you want to go to heaven instead of going to hell? Don't you want eternal life? But that causes 
confusion because actually salvation is actually so much more than that. Actually, I'm going to tell you something. Those three things that we just focused on, forgiveness, eternal life, and heaven, those three things are the benefits of salvation. Did you know that? Forgiveness, eternal life, heaven are the benefits of salvation. But that's what we present. We're presenting the benefits. There's actually so much more to what salvation is, and he's going to tell us here in his prayer. Okay? So much more. So we, we operate with a wrong concept. So why? Because here's the second point. We misunderstand what Jesus was accomplishing. We're misunderstanding what Jesus was doing. Now, we're getting ready to read here in, in, a, in a few seconds here. We're getting ready to read Jesus say to the Father in his prayer, I have done what you've told me to do. Well, wait a minute now. He's not even at the cross yet. He's not even at the cross yet, and he's already done what God has told him to do. What's going on here, George? Well, we're getting ready to look at it. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. We misunderstand what Jesus is accomplishing. He's trying to accomplish something that got destroyed in the garden. What do you mean got destroyed in the garden? Well, why don't we read the passage together? Just five verses, okay? And then we're going to ponder what's going on here about the reality of Jesus. And what actually we're going to look at here is his heart. What comes out of his prayer is his heart. Okay? So here's what John records concerning this prayer from Jesus. Jesus spoke these words, so he's talking about what he just taught in chapters 13 through 16, he spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. In these five verses, I, they, they seem kind of strange. These five verses, we're going to see his heart, okay? We're going to see his heart, and it's a heart for you and I. Okay, so the first thing we're going to notice, we're going to see it in verse 1. Here's what he says. Father, the hour has come. What is he talking about? Well, before, remember, 
He kept telling the disciples in the first two sections before we got to chapter 13, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. That hour is referring to the fact that he's going to go to the cross. Now here he is. We've seen it in chapters 13 through 16. My hour is here. He's talking about the time is ready. Now he's praying, God, my hour has come. Now here's what he wants, God. He says, my hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus wanted the father to glorify him so that God is glorified. So Jesus wanted people to glorify him. Why? So that the Father is glorified. That's the, what the bottom line is. First thing I want you to understand about your salvation. It isn't about you. Quit making it about you. It's about God being glorified that in his grace, he reached down and touched your life. And you came to the place to realize who Jesus is and you embraced him. And you were saved by faith. Do you understand? It's not about you. It's about God. He wants God to be glorified because his hour is coming. He's going to the cross. He's going to die. He wants God to be glorified in that. Why? So that then what happens? Jesus is glorified. Because Jesus died for you. Jesus loved you. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus sent the Spirit to live within you now. Jesus is there for you, interceding on the right hand of the Father. Jesus is coming back for you. So he's wanting God to be glorified so that he is glorified. This is what he's, he's focusing on here. And, and here's what he says in verse 17. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Here's the reality. God has given Jesus the authority to give eternal life. It's Jesus who gives salvation, folks. Had uh, coffee with a friend before I, uh, I was away for a few days. I had to go to a board meeting um, in Canada. I hadn't been there in three years, and where the meeting was is like eight miles away from where I used to pastor before I came here a long time ago. And uh, I, have a, I have a dear friend there, and uh, he knew I was coming up, and he said to me, don't you dare come up here without seeing me. So we went to a coffee shop where, of course, I didn't get any coffee, okay? And uh, we had breakfast together, and... Um, he is telling me as he's there, he's realizing, do you re my friend is now in his mid-70s. My friend is realizing, you know, it's not me when I share. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who gives understanding. It's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who guides me through the conversation. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. You're right. This isn't about us. Even when we share with our loved ones and share with our friends, we share because that's on our heart and we want to share about Jesus, but they're, they're opening their hearts and their minds to the message is because it's God, Spirit, who's there working. It's Jesus. Because why? Jesus has the authority to give eternal life. Now, here's what eternal life is. Are you ready for this? Because I said we get it messed up. We get it we get it confused in our minds. Here's what it is. Look with me at verse 3. 
And let's ponder what he's saying here, okay? Verse 3. In his prayer, he's going to tell you what eternal life is. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Do you want to know what eternal life is? It's knowing God and knowing Jesus. So here's the point. It is God, eternal life is intimately knowing God as the true God. So let me help you to understand what he's saying here, okay? Let's go back to the garden, okay? Want everybody to take a trip with me in your mind. Okay, let's go back to the garden. We're back to the garden where he created everything perfect. I don't even, can't even imagine what it looked like because we have no concept of it. But all I know is, is he created Adam. And out of Adam, he created Eve. He's got all these other creatures, whatever they may be. T-Rex, I don't know. People imagine things. He's got this creation going on here. And the wonderful thing is, is that those first human beings, Adam and Eve, were eternal beings. They were going to live forever. And the wonderful thing is, is that the scripture tells you that God came every day and walked with them in the cool of the garden. God would show up and walk with them. Did you know what I'm saying? He spent time with them. What does that denote, folks? A relationship. So in the beginning, before the fall happened, before the deception of the serpent, the reality of sin embracing and coming into the lives of the first human beings, they had eternal life and a relationship. So then you read with me, if you go to uh, Genesis chapter 3, you read about the fall, you read about the deception that takes place. Eve takes of the fruit, and of course Adam takes of the fruit, and then their eyes are open. They, they enter into, I like to tell people that when you get into things that you shouldn't get in, in, is that your eyes open to a new reality and there's no going back. Well, their eyes open to a new reality and there wasn't going back. And they became aware of themselves, and you notice what they were, they, were, they realized, oh, we're naked. They try to cover themselves with leaves. Think about that, leaves. Okay? And of course, God shows up. Where are you? They hid themselves from God. Something's happened to what? The relationship, right? Here comes Jesus. God says, I've given you the authority, Jesus, to give eternal life. Now, here's what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God intimately again. Do you understand what your salvation is? Why you got saved? The reason you got saved is not just so that you have forgiveness. That's a byproduct. The reason you got saved is not just so that you go to be in heaven. Folks, you're not going to be in heaven. You're going to be in the new creation. That's just a broad term that describes later you're going to be in the new city, Jerusalem, in with Jesus forever on the new earth. We're not going to be in heaven. We're going to be in the new earth with Jesus. The reality is eternal life is not just living forever. 
You gotta have a reason for living forever. Eternal life is so much more than that. By the way, if it was just that, it would get real boring pretty quick. Whoa, just had a thought. Maybe that's why some are bored with their Christian life right now. Because it's just forgiveness, something later on, and it's not more. It is something more. Here's what it is. It is a relationship with God right now. It's him coming and walking with you, not in the cool of the day, but every day, all day. It's him intimately knowing you. This is what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God once again and him being with you. And this is what he's praying. Isn't that awesome to think about that? And that's what God is glorified in. God is glorified by making friends again with you and I. So the first thing is, is it's also intimately knowing Jesus Christ. It's the next thing. It's intimately knowing God as the true God. It's intimately knowing Jesus. It's knowing him. And you say, well, yeah, that's 3,000, 2,000 years ago that Jesus was here. Yeah, but you can know him intimately now. You can talk with him. Bear your soul to him. Complain to him. Do some of you complain? I hope you do. Back up for a moment. Do you have relationships with other people that complaints never get expressed? I mean, seriously, do you have a relationship, you have a friendship with someone, even a marriage with someone where you never utter what's bothering you? That's not a relationship, is it? A relationship is being able to express how you're feeling with each other and even complaining, right? You have the same kind of relationship with God through Jesus where you can go to him and say, God, I just don't understand. I do that a lot. Because there's a lot of things I don't understand. And some of the things I don't understand is the way God works. But here's what I've learned. He's really patient with me. Because he knows I'm thick in the head. And so he bears with me. Because the issue is knowing me. That's what I got saved for, folks. I got saved to have a relationship with God. And by the way, forgiveness is the byproduct. Living forever is the byproduct. Going to be with him in the new Jerusalem, in the new city, that's the byproduct. Have you ever wondered why when you talk to people and you share with them about the gospel, they'll say to you, you know, yeah, I'll take care of that later. Ever had somebody tell you that? Yeah, I, I know I need to do that, but I'll wait till later. I've had people tell me that. Why? Because in their concept, 
I'm talking to them about what's going to happen to them after they die. They're not ready to die. They're living for now, right now. When I should be sharing with them about the Jesus who's real right now. Not just later on when they die. Because how many people do you know? I mean, there are some who are not walking around thinking about, what am I going to do today if I die? Very few. They're already planning their vacation six months from now. They're already paying for wherever at Ocean City right now. They're pre-planning their whatever getaway around Thanksgiving. They're not thinking about dying. But think about that. That's because of our confusion. So it's intimately knowing God as the true God. It's also intimately knowing Jesus. So then we get to verse 4, which is that question I brought to you earlier. Look at what he says in verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. All right, so stop for a moment. <clears throat> Again, this is before he goes to the cross. Would you agree with me that this is an unusual statement? Because we are told theologically that his work is to be yet completed, which is what? Dying on the cross for our salvation, right? Is that not true? What is he talking about here? What, what is he talking about here? His work is so much more than going and dying on the cross. That's part of it. That's a central part of it. But remember what he was doing. We've just studied it through the first 16 chapters. Jesus shows up on the scene pointing people to who? God. Showing that God what? Accepts people where they're at. Isn't he the friend of what? Tax collectors and sinners? He's showing up on the scene rejecting who? The religious. The pious. Who look good on the outside but on the inside are what? Messed up. He shows up on the scene and he brings and shows the love of God by healing. You've got to remember, healing sick people, which in their culture, that was the bottom rung. You were considered disfavored by God. He doesn't just heal them. He even heals them on the Sabbath day. It breaks the so-called man-made rules. So here he is. He's doing all of this. Why? Because his job is to show them who? God and who God is and who God loves. And to show them that the way you get to God is through him. So at this point, right before he gets arrested, you think he finished his job? You think he accomplished what he was wanting to do by showing them the way to the Lord? Now, did they understand? No, but he did what he was supposed to do, right? This is what he's saying here. He, he's making the point, he reflects on the reality that he has finished his work. And his work is to show them who? God. 
so that they can intimately know him. See, folks, this is the whole reason we're going through this gospel. We're not going through this gospel so that you just have a bunch of knowledge of who Jesus is and, and file that away in your theological folder. Yeah, I understand the doctrines of who he is. No, no, our whole purpose in getting to know and meeting Jesus is to know him and his heart and get to know him so that we can have that relationship with him. But as we do that, we get to know ourselves. And by knowing ourselves, it reveals who we are. And sometimes that ain't pretty. And, but the reality is, is he still what? Loves us. I mean, think about it. So the complaint of the religious people is he hangs out with prostitutes. He hangs out with tax collectors, with the drunkards. They're excited about him. Stop for a moment. The people in our community who would fit into that category, they're not excited about church for some reason. Have you noticed that? But they're excited about Jesus? Why? Because Jesus showed them how much God loved them. That's what he's about. That he loves you and I and everyone. And that's what he's doing here. So here's what I want you to see. So because he's finished that work, he's going to point to what's coming ahead of him and you might be like, what, that's glorifying God? Look with me at verse 5. Here's what he says. Now, O oh Father, now. Okay, this is the moment right before they're going to go to the garden. He's going to be arrested. Now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. So right now, he's going to go. He's going to be taken. He's going to be beaten. He's going to go through several trials and be falsely accused. They're going to take an innocent man. They're going to hang him on a tree. He's going to die there. He is going to die there. He's going to give up his spirit. He's going to die there for you and I. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. And he's going to be glorified. Glorified by us because of the reality of what he has done for us on that cross, through his life, showing us the relationship we can now have with the Father again because he took care of it so that you and I can have that relationship again. He's also going to be glorified because what? Of the reality of people coming to Christ and experiencing that, that relationship with him. And then the reality that God will what? Because of his crucifixion and going to the cross, God will exalt him to a place high above. In fact, this is what Philippians says, okay? Paul reflecting on this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Here's what he says. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He's talking about Jesus here. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, 
And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and has highly exalted him and has given the name, given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. He glorified him. He gave up the glory before so that he could come. This is, this is what blows my mind. Okay, think about this. Think about if you were in the sweet spot in life right now. You got everything you want. But you're sitting back and you're thinking in, your, in your, all of your greatness of what's happening to you and having everything you want. Maybe you got that hunting camp that you want or that cabin that you want. You got the life that you want. You got the retirement fund that you got. You got the car that you want. You got the family all around you. And you're just kind of sitting back and you're thinking about, you know what? Yeah, there's that guy from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago. We used to have a relationship and, so, and he messed it up. I miss him. And so you say goodbye to all that and you go and you try to pursue reconciliation with the guy who messed it up. You're probably thinking, that doesn't happen, George. Who would do that? Jesus did. He gave up the glory of heaven laid it all aside to come and work it out with the people who did him wrong. And he did what it took to bring about that reconciliation. And now the Father says, hey, I'll give you back what you had before. In fact, I'll give it back to you to the point now that everybody will bow the knee to you. What's it about? It's about, listen folks, this is what he's praying about. He's about him being glorified because he's accomplishing what was meant to be and this was eternal life. He's even given him the authority to give it to you and I. What? The relationship. You and I have a relationship with him. And that, if you realize it, won't be boring. And if it gets boring, it's not because of him. Let me pray for you.